standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 24, through chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted too. Carry each other's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good. Because in time, we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all wherever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's so good to be here with you all this morning. As we reset our souls, our purpose in this morning, we are considering how we might reset our values according to the teachings of Jesus. This morning we're going to be thinking a little bit about what it means for us to live by God's Spirit and not to live by our own. And as we are going to see from our scripture reading this morning, God's values can lead us to a greater faith and really a life that's lived in a greater way in response to the grace of God. So I want us to begin this morning by thinking about the passage of scripture that we've already heard this morning, which is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatians. Now, I think there's something about this letter that we need to remember before we think about it and before we talk about it in terms of how it is written compared to to some of the other letters that Paul wrote himself. The first thing I think we need to remember is this letter is not written to a specific church. So it's not written to First United Methodist Church of Clovis, New Mexico, or of Lubbock, or wherever else you want to say. This, this letter is, is written to a, speci- a group of churches. Galatia, as you can see on the map, is a very large region. Are we having technical difficulties? Yeah? All right, I'm sorry. Um, the computer reset as I was getting everything going this morning, and so you know what happens when your computer resets. Uh, Sometimes. Hey, that's like the children's time. <laughs> there we go. Proof in the pudding. Okay, so if you go and look in a Bible map, or just take some time, uh, Asia Minor is in the northern part of the Mediterranean, and the region of Galatia is an extremely large region. And so it consists of many cities that we read about in the New Testament, many cities that we read about in Paul's letters to the church. And so I think it's helpful for us to remember that this isn't Paul writing to a specific church in the city of Ephesus, although we know Ephesians was written probably to to a group of churches in the city of Ephesus. 
Same thing with the city of Corinth and Corinthians. There were probably more than one faith community in the city of Corinth. And so when Paul was writing them, he's writing to a larger, you know, three or four churches, however many there were in this one city. But I think what we can say and what we can see is for both, it is consistent in that these letters were written to a specific community where Paul knew people's names, he knew their stories, he knew what was going on in the community and what was happening. And that's not the case with Galatians. And so the letters that, that Paul is writing to Galatians is, is addressing larger issues. And so what he's had to do to this church is to take letters that, that obviously questions have been posed to him, whether it's people sending messengers or, or presenting them in writing, and he has consolidated them into what he believed was the response to this larger community, to this larger region that you could see right here in the middle of the map. That's where Galatians, Galatia is. And so Galatians asks, answers, if you think about it, little c church questions. So like universal church questions that affected the church as a whole. We also have to remember one thing that, that we read Paul's letters and when we talk about Paul's letters is we have the benefit of reading his teachings and his answers without really knowing the whole story, do we? So we really don't know what has gone on. We really don't know the questions that have been posed to him. We really don't know the messages that others are saying or teaching or whatever it is. And so without the entire picture, we also take and believe that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to what Paul is saying and helps us to see and understand. And I think at its root, what we can look at in the book of Galatians is that Paul is writing to a church community that's trying to live in two worlds. And really, they're trying to live in three worlds, if you think about it. One world is they were attempting to live as followers of Jesus and recipients of his grace while also continuing to live in their communities, continuing to be a part of families that, that maybe you know one family in a larger family unit had become followers of Jesus while others were still maintaining their, their worship of other gods in that region or area. So there's one world. Another world would be um, those who are attempting to um, live as followers of grace while they were also being told that they needed to be practitioners of the Jewish faith and to do some of the things that, that the Jewish faith outlines that they were to do in order to be faithful Jewish men and women, to live according to the laws, to do some of the, the physical acts that are required that we read about in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. And so they were trying to, to balance this, to balance this this living in, in, in multiple worlds, to live in, in a place where, where they are spread thin and trying to, to figure out who they are and how they were to live. And in Paul's letters, we also read one other thing that I think is important, but we read letters where, where Paul has often come to communities of faith. And he or other teachers have been there and they've planted churches and they've built churches and they've baptized and they've uh, shared in Holy Communion and they've preached and they've taught and they've done all of these things. And they've organized this group, usually in a home, and then they have left only to discover that coming behind them was someone else who was kind of a pseudo-Christian in the way that they were teaching and in their understanding and in their theological belief of who Jesus Christ was. And so they would come behind them and teach a different message and so Paul often had to deal with that as well. And so this was a clash in the earliest church. 
How are those who are previously Gentile, not Jewish, supposed to be incorporated in the faith? How are those who are supposed to be, who are prior Jewish, to be incorporated in the faith? How are they to come together to form a Christian community that we read about in the book of Ephesians and we read about according to Jesus' teachings as he's gathering a group of followers that are traveling with him, as he's talking about God's kingdom, as he's talking about the life that changed, that, that comes, will we have a relationship with him? And so that's what Paul's struggling with. That's what Paul's wrestling with. And I think we always have to remember that as we read his letters because, you know, the root cause of what he's struggling with in this letter in particular in the book of Galatians is that uh, the, the biggest issue is, is what happens to those who are private, private, previously Gentile Christians. And now there's people coming behind and saying, well, you have to be circumcised. You have to become Jewish in order to become a truly a Christian. The Christian church struggles as a whole with this. How are Gentile Christians supposed to be incorporated? How are they supposed to be included in the body of Christ? Go look in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Chapter 15 in the book of Acts is, is often called the Jerusalem Council, and that's when Paul journeyed back to Jerusalem. He met with James, the brother of Jesus. Peter was also there, and the three of them and other leaders of the church came together and talked about what it meant to be a body of Christ, what it meant to be uh, the people that carried on the message and the life of Jesus Christ and shared it with others, who was going to be truly a part of the body and who wasn't. And what came out of that was Paul's understanding and Paul's belief and that Peter had a dream that corresponded with this that said that Gentile Christians, the change that happened in order for one to become a follower of Jesus Christ was not something physical that could occur, but it was a change that had to happen in someone's heart, Right? And so Paul's continuing focus then in all of the letters we read, and in today's especially, was to emphasize that it's not the, made, the physical acts or the actions that you and I do that make us a Christian. It's basically what he's saying is there is nothing physically that you can do, kind of like baptism, right? Jesus knows our heart, and we need to get baptized, and we can get baptized, but if... if um, but if we don't ever do it, and we're still a follower of Jesus Christ... There is no way that I believe that God doesn't accept you. And I think that's what Paul's saying too, is, is that there's no physical change. There's nothing that, that can happen or action that makes you a Christian. <clears throat> Short of having the change in your heart and orienting your mind toward God and by following Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is physical attempts are an attempt to justify oneself according to the law. Rather than preaching, rather than accepting, rather than receiving the grace of God that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 5, Paul expands on the arguments, and you can go read this at the beginning of chapter 5 if you have time this afternoon in the book of Galatians. You know, that he goes into greater depth on, on why Gentile Christians don't need to be circumcised, don't need to do any of the physical things. <clears throat> and then he says, here's how you should actually be a follower of Jesus Christ where he says that faith working through love is what matters. That faith working through love is what matters. Folks, he wants the early church and us to see that it's not through any action, it's not through some physical change that you have to go through in order to be saved. That's grace, isn't it? That it's by faith and through our faith 
and our belief in God and our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that, that we are able to live unselfishly and we are able to receive in overwhelming measure the gift that God has given us, which is the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our forgiveness from sin, and the opportunity to place our hope firmly in Him. And then he continues in chapter 5 by contrasting how people who are living under selfish motives are living with the ways or contrary to the ways to those that are living according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25, it tells us that if we are truly followers of Jesus, we have sacrificed things in order to die to ourselves, haven't we? Meaning our own values, meaning our own ways, meaning our own desires, meaning our own justifications. We choose to replace those things with the desires and the values and the justifications and the teachings and everything else that God offers us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just as Jesus died for us, there are things that have to die in our lives in order for us to live in an even greater way for him. And so just as Jesus was raised, you and I are lifted by the Holy Spirit into a new life and into a new relationship with Him where His values become our values and we set aside those things that aren't His values and that are the things that keep us from truly following Him. And when His values become our values, friends, I'm going to tell you that that's when we discover in an even greater way the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit will give us a direction and a measure and a guidance and a distance and a way that we need to go so that we can accomplish for Him His purpose and plan in an even greater way. And so what does it mean to be guided by the Holy Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists a few of those things. We all know the verse about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Isn't that Galatians 5 verses 21 and 22? Or 22, I may be wrong. I know it's Galatians 5, I know it's in the 20s, I just can't remember if it's 21 or 22, but uh, in it Paul says the fruits of the Spirit, or, or evidence of someone that's being living, living in the Spirit, or evidence to someone that is being guided by the Spirit, are the way that they live in joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So I think it's easy for us to read this list and think those are a great idea, but however, we all know that at times it's hard for us to live according to this list, isn't it? I mean, well, anyway, down there, okay. And here's what I think. I think from our verse that we read this morning is that Paul knew the difficulty in this. I think Paul knew that there was a difference between knowing what the fruits of the Spirit are and putting them up on our wall, and, and seeing them, and thinking about them, and, and seeing them as something we can do, I think he knew that there was a difference in knowing them, and then actually putting them into practice. So in chapter 6, he presents a short explanation or a list on how he thought those who lived according to the Spirit, who have the fruits of the Spirit in their life, are going to be guided. And so that's when he said, brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted to carry each other's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. 
Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. So these are obviously just a short start on the descriptions that Paul lists of how we might live according to the fruits of the Spirit. Or as one who is guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, at the very beginning, he gives an example of how we might restore someone with a spirit of gentleness when they have done wrong. We also know how hard it is for us to, to, to sometimes model gentleness, isn't it? I think it's important to note, and something that jumped out at me as I was reading Paul's letter, is that he doesn't say that we're to be gentle and not hold someone accountable, does he? So I think this is where sometimes in the church we get a little washy. Because we talk about, about hope and about, I mean, which hope comes to everybody, but I think we, we lose the, the emphasis on how God calls us to be accountable and on how God wants us to change our lives for the better, for Him, in response to the grace of Jesus, in response to the life that He's given us. And so right here, Paul says, what does he say? He says, if someone has done wrong, hold them accountable with gentleness, doesn't he? He says, correct them with gentleness. And then we could go through the other things. Because accountability for him in the Christian community is important. It's what needs to be worked on. And it's how we hold one another accountable is what's important. And in this way, what he says, right, is with a spirit of gentleness. And then he continues by saying we're to do our own work, we're to, to hold ourselves up. But then he also says what we, what we, we are to sow what we are going to reap. And that our lives are going to be a model of that. Which basically ends me to say, like, all of us can ask how we sow. How we sow seed, how we treat others, how we act, how we receive and return. Because if we live according to the values of God and of Christ, we have to evaluate whether or not we are living in the flesh in Paul's words or living according to the Spirit in Paul's words or whether we are living in the way that he wanted us to live by choosing things that align either with the world's values and with our values or we choose the things that align with the values of Jesus Christ rather than sowing in the Spirit, rather than making decisions and choices that align with the values of God. See, I want to end this morning by inviting us all to just take a moment to think about how our values align with the values of God. What are the things that we place importance on that don't necessarily align with the values of God? And then we can ask, like at our children's time, how and where do we need to reset? How do I need to reset my values? So that I live in a way that God's Spirit is evident through the fruit that I produce and through the life that I live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Friends, for this to happen, all we can do is turn our eyes towards Jesus. And as we do so, to give Him the authority to replace our worldly values with His values so that he may be glorified.
Amen.